welcome to another episode of the Nerd Entrepreneurs Podcast, where we interview young entrepreneurs around the globe in order for you to learn and get inspired to turn your own ideas into reality. I'm your host, Dan, and today I am as thrilled as ever to share yet another exciting startup story with you. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome again to, to an interview. Fabian, this is your first time on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, you have a, quite a, an exciting story behind you. Mm-hmm. Exciting with ups and downs. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about the startup you, you have worked on. Cool, cool of course. Uh, well, thank you for having me again. Uh, um, I mean, in general, I, um, I started just over two years ago with a, at the very beginning, with a legal tech idea. So I was straight out of uni. Um, I said to myself, look, I'm just going to give myself one year period now where I just try and execute all the ideas I have. Because um, while I was at uni, I was always trying different ideas. But of course, you know what it's like at university. You're always very busy. You're doing different things. You're always partying and stuff. So things get in the way. <laughs> so I just gave myself a year. So I started out with a legal sort of tech idea. I started it with uh, a friend of mine that I studied, or two friends of mine, one that I studied with and one just from university. And we, we went very basic with it. So we, we, we started with this lead startup canvas, uh, business model canvas. Uh, so we sort of understood this whole philosophy of MVPing and testing the market first. Uh, so we just, it was called Lex uh, app. And the whole aim of it was to give everyone within Switzerland the possibility to ask their legal questions before having to go to a lawyer. Um, and this in the format of a chatbot. Mm. And then basically pre-evaluating the necessity of going to a lawyer. Um, and then connecting them with qualified lawyers. So we made it super simple. We made a Facebook group, our Facebook page, um, and we just had a few master or students who were studying master of law who were answering the questions. Um, and we just didn't have any lawyers or anything in the background, but we just said we did, of course. So we really started pushing that. Um, it was going quite well. I mean, in terms of market validation, we got, I think we got 50 to 80 people asking questions a month. Uh, so we were quite, quite strong on the marketing front and stuff. Um, and at that point, I guess that's that's what one I learned. One of my first very important lessons as well is how important it is to to develop a team spirit where everyone is is happy with with the sort of collaboration um, and how much input every single person is putting into the company or mm. into the project in that sense. Uh, so basically, after that, we it sort of fell apart because of that. Um, so your team was not working well together or not that it wasn't working well together we just weren't aligned in regards to very like equity how much equity each person had and how much um, how much time percentage that they actually invested into the project yeah, yeah. Uh, so for example I was because I just came out of uni I was free so I was saying 100% yeah. whereas the other the other two guys they, they weren't necessarily saying that and so that sort of at the beginning I was fine with it but over time it gets you know it, it, yeah. it stays on your shoulder and then it builds up it builds up it builds up yeah. and sort of that's what then sort of broke it apart but at that point I was actually pitching at Swiss Startup Days um, event here in yeah. Switzerland um, and there, one of the accelerator programs for Startup Factory, they saw us pitching um, and they actually wanted us to join. Um, but that was sort of at that point when everything was breaking up. So I yeah. went back to Swiss Startup Factory and said, hey, listen, guys, uh, I do want to come, uh, but with a new idea. Um, and so this is where Shout, uh, which then turned into Yellow, which is the startup mm-hmm. we're talking about, yeah. uh, sort of developed from. Uh, we, so literally the day after me and the other guys broke up, I just started on this new project uh, all alone. 
Um, and that went really back to my principles or my, my understanding at design management where everything is about qualitative research, really understanding the customer um, and sort of doing this double diamond uh, human-centered design process. And what Shout was at its very core at the beginning was to hear the stories of individuals and being able to implement that into, uh, into business processes. So making sure that a company as a whole can produce products and services or marketing strategies that are very human-centered. So it started out with the app idea, very basic wireframes and stuff. I pitched that to Swiss Startup Factory. They said, okay, you can come in, uh, but you have to find co-founders within two months uh, because that was one of sort of their one criteria yeah. uh, when joining. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll build a team uh, within two months. Um, and that's when Shout started to grow. Yeah. Um, so Shout actually went through quite a number of different team members. So we... Uh, I was finding different people, I was doing workshops with people, I was doing sort of personality assessments with people yeah. to see who I could fit with, who I couldn't fit with, who was bringing skill sets that I wasn't bringing, because that was the issue before as well, there were some uh, very similar skill sets being brought to the table. Yeah. So after a few rounds of that, we actually then end up with a very, very, very strong team, mm -hmm. um, which consisted of Roman, myself and Felipe, um, so, and that was very different roles then. Right. So there, that's where we then sort of were in the Swiss Startup Factory. Uh, we was our first initial sort of funding for the project. So we were able to get a company to develop the app. Um, at first, we were using these, these guys from India. Uh, we were testing that out, how that was working. We used that for our first app. We got our first initial clients. Um, and then the accelerator program was over. We had Felipe as our CTO. Uh, and essentially, we decided to throw away our entire product again and pivot. Okay. Um, and so here we pivoted from the application where people could essentially answer questions from companies in the format of Snapchat. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, the application was built exactly like Snapchat, except you have questions, you can accept them, answer them purely in video. Yeah. Um, these videos we would then send to the companies, um, so super basic, and you would get rewarded uh, in, in monetary reward for it. Okay. Um, so we pivoted from that into making more of a tool. So we, we, we sort of threw away the whole product, um, and allowed people to to use it with their own clients. Um, mm. So this is kind of where, where the whole concept of Yellow, the way that it was at the very end, uh, developed. And Yellow was a video online service. Yeah. Um, so essentially it was very similar for, for companies as they do now with online surveys, mm. uh, except that for the consumer or for the, the respondent, it would answer purely in video styled format. So yeah. it was extremely similar to the way that people are communicating anyways, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, with their friends and family. But now they could also communicate that way to the, to the companies. Yeah. Um, we would then sort of break down the videos, transcribe them, uh, put data on it, and that would be then sent back to the companies. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was the product. Um, we, we, moved, we moved forward after the startup factory. Uh, then we were lucky enough to get into another accelerator program uh, in Finland um, called Startup Sauna. Mm. Uh, it's really one of the most renowned startup uh, accelerators within Europe at least. Um, and so we went there for seven weeks and that was the most incredible time. So there we learned so much about, it was essentially it was a free MBA. We learned, yeah, we learned everything about product market fit, about assessing your team members, about financials. Um, and the way it was constructed was that you would have week, different week slots. Mm. Uh, you, would, you would get sort of some information for each week, so product market fit, for example. Then, then for the rest of the week, you would just meet coaches from all over the startup scene yeah. uh, who would just coach you constantly. 
um, and just this constant feedback, constant workshop is what really brought us forward. It brought us forward to such a point that we actually discovered that we had a big problem and that our problem was that we had a lack of, um, well, yeah, we didn't have a fit between our market and our business model. So essentially because of the, because of the um, mismatch between, uh, between who our clients was and who our market was and mm -hmm. what our business model was, yeah. uh, we didn't have a sustainable business model. Uh, so there we were really able to learn that we had to set up some tests uh, with different markets to go into and very concretify it. So we, we had metrics for it. Um, so we could see which one is, makes the most sense to go further in. Um, and at that point we sort of realized, okay, um, yeah. actually none of, none of it makes sense right yeah. now. You, had the, you, had, you went into hotels, restaurants, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Into, into yeah, so we, like we, we started just with market research agencies using our product. Yeah. Um, and then we realized, okay, they only use it like once a month, twice a month. So it's not, there's no stickiness to the product. Mm -hmm. um, and so essentially they wouldn't, it didn't make sense for them to pay for a SaaS model. Yeah. Um, so then we decided, okay, well, hotels, they do customer feedbacking, uh, restaurants, they do it as well. Mm -hmm. Golf courses do it as well. Yeah. So we started to focus in more on customer satisfaction feedbacking, yeah. um, on those four different niches. Yeah. And then none of them. Yeah, so we we had hypothesis again as to what our product can solve for them. Uh, one of the biggest one was the response rate. Uh, our hypothesis was always that the response rate of surveys are too low, and therefore, yeah. if it's in video, it would be increased. But we realized actually, none of, no one had a problem with that because they yeah. had thirty percent response rate, 35 percent response rate at a high, and that was enough for them. Mm -hmm. um, then we thought, okay, our second hypothesis was that by having video, you would have more qualitative information mm. uh, because a lot of people don't write text into their field boxes. But we found out that's not true. Actually, people will write text into field boxes. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in all of those um, niche markets, we found out our hypothesis yeah. wasn't true. And therefore, there was no value. Our, our product was not bringing value to, yeah. the, to these sections. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the... Um, the biggest reason this happened is because of that pivot that we did between Startup, uh, startup Factory and Startup Sauna. So our pivot of our product there, yeah. uh, going from an app-based product to a tool-based product. So uh, browser. So it's browser-based, browser, yeah. Right? Less mm -hmm. on a technical aspect, more of the way that the entire product works as a whole. Yeah. So prior to that, we had our own pool of users. So that means a client would come to us, they say, look, we need to have 50 people's stories, we need to understand the market, yeah, they need yeah. to be in this age demographic, yeah. um, get, give it to us. So it's basically recruitment as well as, or recruitment of the people, as well as um, then getting, getting their stories, yeah. or doing the research for them essentially. Yeah. Whereas afterwards, we were just a tool. And yeah. When we pivoted, we didn't we didn't take into consideration that our new or that our target audience will not appreciate the new value we've created with our yeah. with our product. So yeah, that was sort of our biggest. So you kind of say before for the first version, you kind of made your market research early enough, yeah, and they were sure that they want it, yeah. But then you pivoted and then you didn't check it any, again before yeah. you built it, kind of. So basically, we we had a we had a working business with our first with our first product. We had clients coming in already, we were already making revenue. And f yeah, for some reason, we, we thought there was a lot of problems with it mm. um, because we thought we were, we were sort of stuck in the Swiss market because we constantly had to build up our own pool yeah, you only um, had users in the exactly, yeah, exactly. The and market. so we, we thought that the Swiss market wasn't good for our product, and therefore we have to 
develop our product to be more international so yeah. basically we wanted to scale quicker yeah we didn't have patience yeah. <laughs> and uh and so we developed the tool but without even assessing anything yeah. uh, behind it yeah so i think i think that's one of the biggest reasons for our failure um mm. sort of just making a very uninformed decision in into that path yeah. there yeah. but i could see that you know you're like ah this is not good let's pivot and for me there's something in the pivot ah it's gonna be better Exactly. But yeah. 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 yeah it's true, but it's yeah. a good yeah. learning. You have to be really careful. Yeah, exactly. Because you have not done the research yeah. for the pivot. And I guess it's a thing. We always want to have results quicker, right? Yeah. So then we think, okay, maybe if I do this, then the results will come quicker. Yeah. But in reality, it's not. You just have to stay. You have to stay with what's working. You have to, and you, and every time you do change something, you have to design tests for it. And yeah. that's what I really learned at the start of sauna, that there, if you, if you, okay, you might think that this pivot might make sense, but uh, test it. Right, mm -hmm. so um, create three or four different tests, set hypotheses for each of those tests, yeah. and then go out and execute on them and see how far that, or how close that they come to your goals. Yeah. Um, and based on that, evaluate or assess if it makes sense to move into that direction. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever thought about going back to the old idea? Uh, yeah, a few times actually. <laughs> um, especially now because uh, I'm yeah, working at Tesla and here we, we, customer satisfaction is a big thing. Uh, so we do send surveys to everybody that, that has a test drive with us, that uh, picks up a car with us. And there I've, I've thought so many times about how useful it could actually be here. Um, so, I mean, it is something that I do. I am quite connected to, to the product. So in that sense, I have thought about it. But on another end, I mean, when we stopped, we very clearly cut it off. Um, I mean, we still have all the, the software and stuff. So maybe in a few years from now, we can use it again. But right now, it's not something that I, I will pick up straight away again. I mean, I do see the potential for it again, but it's not something I'm ready to invest my time back into. Uh, you've mentioned the, the, the accelerators yep. a couple of times, the Swiss Startup Factory uh, Sauna, yep. right? Startup Sauna. Startup Sauna. Yep. Can you maybe share a bit more about, about these accelerators? And mm -hmm. yeah, what, what's your opinion? Why should people try yep. to, to, to participate in one? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different accelerators that focus on different stages of a startup. Um, so before even thinking about going to one, you really have to assess your own standpoint, where that you are. Mm. Are you just a project are you, or are you just an idea? Uh, are you just a project or are you actually a company already making revenue? Mm. Um, and then there's, there's different accelerator programs for each of that stage. Um, for us, it was extremely useful. So, um, Swiss Startup Factory, first of all, mm. um, because that brought me from an idea to a product. Yeah. Um, so it gave me initial funding that I could use then so we could pay the, the software developers yeah. um, and get a product out there. So that was super important. Um, for me, I come more from a design background, so I wanted um, some business support or business um, sort of mentorship. Yeah. Um, so that's also one of the things I went in there with because the, the people there, they're very strong from a business side. Yeah. So. I do say accelerators are really good for you as long as you evaluate first what you're going in for um, and then to evaluate that that accelerator program will be able to give you that. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean definitely Swiss uh, or Startup Sauna for example is a zero equity um, accelerator program so we didn't lose anything, mm -hmm. um, we just gained. Because usually they, or usually, a lot of the accelerators want some, yeah. some part of your startup. You know. So that used to be the case. Yeah. Now most accelerator programs, well, a lot of them are closing. Um, yeah, okay. A lot of them are moving to a zero percent equity yeah. kind yeah. of thing because um, just startups, startups, 
or there's so much competition out there that startups aren't necessarily ready to give away equity anymore. Yeah. For example, Kickstarter Accelerator here in Zurich, yeah. um, there's zero equity, startup sound is zero equity. The only ones that we can really take equity still are, are the best, so Y Combinator. Yeah. But Y Combinator also gives you $120,000. Yeah. Right, so and, and they give you the best network in the world, they give yeah. you the best investors, they give you the best coaches. So there you're ready to give some equity. Yeah. Um, but then of course there's like Axel Springer um, in Berlin, Berlin is quite a few, they still take equity. And it's definitely worth it to give equity, but only, only if you're actually going to get something in return. Yeah. And it's always difficult to be able to evaluate that before. Yeah, you really yeah. gonna have a strong hypothesis that what you're going to get is yeah. going to really change yeah. a, lot, yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. So, so what would you say to, to founders or new founders? Uh, how should they evaluate what accelerator they should go for or mm -hmm. if they should even go for one? Well, once again, it's a stage, right? So let's say if I started again and I just had an idea, yeah. then I would, I would look at, I mean, it's difficult to say because now I, I have a lot more learning, knowledge. So I would not go back to an accelerator actually after having done it. Mm -hmm. But it's, I think I, I actually came out with a lot more learning than I had before. Um, but so if let's say a new founder, brand new founder, never started a startup, I would say they're the biggest thing you need to get is the, the, the network of the entrepreneurship world in that sense. Mm. Not even just like, not even people that are ready to invest, but people that are ready to talk to you and work on your ideas with you and to sort of give you a roadmap to, to a product market launch. Um, because before that, I mean, before you find a product market fit, there's nothing really, nothing else is important. Mm. And so you need people that are experienced with that, people that have done that before, people that can sort of um, make sure you're taking the right decisions and stuff. Um, and that's a very soft skill, analytical thing. So you have to go and talk to them. You have to talk to the people who are actually going to uh, be sort of guiding you to see if they have that knowledge or not. And then, of course, another thing technically: what what do you have to give? What are they going to give? Uh, what are they going to give? And what what do you take uh, in terms of equity? In terms of finances? How much are they going to give you? Are they going to give money? Um, are they just giving you support? Yeah, and just looking down, sort of a yeah. blank sheet. Yeah. And what do I have to bring as a founder? Yeah. When do they take me, or how is the how do they evaluate what startups they take in? And yeah, well, I, essentially it's like an investor, right? Yeah. So they they look at, um, and it depends as well. Like startup sound, it was funded by the government, so there they were looking at things that will help the local um, community or the local startup scene. But if it's a if it's more of a financially based one, then they're going to look at it like an investment. Yeah. Um, so they're going to look at it. Okay, how much? Who are you? First of all, as a founder, because you have nothing else at the beginning. Right, if you're just an idea, there's nothing else on your back. Um, so do you have the skill set or the, the past experience to prove you're able to bring an idea to reality? Um, then also, or how far are you ready with your project? Uh, do you have product market fit or not? And then of course, how big the market is. I mean, sure, it works with these five people, but are there 5,000 people? Are there 10,000 people? Are there 20,000 people? Um, so yeah, just... Mm -hmm same same as any investor would but because it's so early it's more on the founder yeah, yeah, yeah. or founders um i just want to um jump back to one one uh, word or one expression you said a lot mm -hmm. and a lot of our listeners are first time listeners right um that want to know more about entrepreneurship product market fit mm -hmm. you read a lot about it what is it exactly yep. um what is it for you product market fit is for me is when you do a test with let's say 50 people mm. and 50% of those people will remain your clients mm. so 
for example, now I'm building something up again. Mm. Um, I'm going to do a test with 20 to 50 people. And I've set an objective or, or a sort of evaluator of if it makes sense to continue with this if 50% of the clients remain. Because I feel otherwise you, you, you don't, you're not bringing real value. And if you're not bringing real value, people aren't ready to pay for that. And then you're not, then there's a mismatch. Yeah. And you know, where, where is that point on, on the, the, the product market fit point on the development of a startup? And why is it so important to, to reach that point? Um, because I mean, we've seen, or we've even experienced it before you're at that point and there's an investors who just pour a lot of money into it, into the startup. Yeah. It's way too early. Um, why is it so important to, to reach that point? And what, what, what happens afterwards? Yeah, so I mean, there's two questions. Kind of, yeah, right? yeah, okay. Sorry. So when that it is, I guess that can depend on the, the company, the idea, the project, whatever. Um, I mean, for some people, you can, you can create a test and you can, you can do that within the first week, mm. first two weeks. Uh, so with some other bigger companies, of course, you need to invest much more into research development, into development of a product or development of an MVP to test that. Uh, but essentially, I feel that can happen at any stage um, where you have a product that is on the market that will that gives the user your full value that you're able to deliver them. Yeah. So it can be very early or very late, depending on how extensive you have to invest into product and R and D. Yeah, uh, and signs are. I mean, uh, some people use the the NPS, the Net Promoter Score, yeah. to kind of measure. Okay, do we have product yeah. market fit or not? Yeah. It's a question, right? You ask your customers, um, how how likely are you to recommend this product to? Yeah, someone exactly. else yeah. and then from one to ten and if, if, if it's at the seven or or around there you're kind of close mm -hmm. um, so these are things you can use to measure it right yeah well I would say you could do even better so I mean this is also one of the things I learned to only take feedback from your actual clients so our product was super cool it was sexy everyone sort of understood it and they're like oh this is great it's fantastic mm. but in the end they weren't the actual clients Right, but we listened to them. We were like, "Oh yeah, cool." And yeah. based on that, and then they were like, "Oh, you should add this feature. You should add this feature." And yeah. I'm like, "Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, we should do that." But actually, they weren't clients. They weren't even willing to pay for it. Yeah. Um, so, only taking feedback from your actual clients and the people that are willing to pay for it yeah. uh, sort of moves into this as well. That you don't need to do an NPS score, but you can actually already sell them something. Yeah, that's the to best see. Sign okay, right? are they going to give you money for this thing? Yeah. That's so. I like that's that's what I think we. We're sort of today, it's so easy to test different business models. You can, yeah. I mean, I created a website in two days and now I can go out and test it. Yeah. Um, and we have this possibility with all these different tools and technology. Um, so why only use sort of figurative yeah. um, validators when you can already use very real ones? Yeah. Um, so, but of course, one, one thing could be you start with a little survey, NPS score, and then you move further and further to develop a realer and realer product. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You will only ever know once you have people paying for your product. Yeah, that's the best, uh, yeah. the best test yeah. <laughs> there is. Yeah. I have a, a question rega regarding something you said in the beginning when you built your team at mm -hmm. the um, Swiss Startup Factory. You said you did a lot of you know, personality tests and, and talked yeah. to a lot of people. How, how was that process? Because that's one of the most important things, finding the right people. Yeah. And you obviously did well. You said you had like super cool team. Yeah. How did you, you know, what, what are a few points that people need to look out for? Yeah. Um, I guess one super important thing is, especially when you're starting out, you sort of go and talk to people and you're like, oh, hey, this is my idea. And then 
other people latch on. They're sort of like, oh, cool, I want to join you. Or they go to their friends like, hey, hey, bro, should we do this and this? I, I don't think that's the right idea because you most likely, you and your friends or people surrounding you normally have a very similar skill set, yeah. um, which doesn't help you in the long run. I mean, if I can do the same thing as you, why do I need you? Yeah. Uh, so one of the biggest things I always in my had in my head is, is this person or can this person do something that I cannot do? Yeah. Um, so that's one thing definitely to look out for. Um, another thing is more in terms of soft skills. Can we work together? Um, mm. um, I mean, we did. I did different tests to like whether you have like blue or people that are more blue, yellow, red, and green. Mm. Um, blue is more like creative, out of the box thinker, green or detail oriented and stuff. Um, and so to see, okay, do we are we both blue? Do we both sort of scream ideas, or are you the one that pulls me back then and says, yeah, okay, but look at this and this and this detail. Yeah. Um, so just doing workshops, working together for a day or two days just to really see if that works or not. Yeah. Um, and then once you've set that whole soft skill and soft teamwork um, stuff together, then actually looking at it more in a technical aspect. So then saying, okay, look, how much equity do you want or how much equity do I get? Are we going to do this 50-50? Um, are we going to do 30-70? Um, how much time are we going to invest into this? Mm -hmm. And then um, and making sure that this... that both parties or all three parties feel fair to what has been discussed. Yeah. Um, because as soon as someone doesn't feel that it's fair anymore, that's when things will break out. Yeah. That's when people will get mad at each other. That's when people get unmotivated. Because let's say, for example, I only have 20%, but I'm working twice as much as you. Yeah. After a while, I'm going to come to you and say, hey, this, is, this doesn't make any sense anymore. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And that's, that's what breaks up a, a, a company. Yeah. And then having that formally written down, just so people know it. And, yeah. and this, I think, before you start working together. So if anything ever comes into, yeah, so you guys can talk about it like adults, you, can, you see it on paper, it's, it's all sorted out. Yeah, yeah, I, I experienced that in my yeah. first ever startup. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very good friend and we didn't talk for two years afterwards. Yeah, exactly. now, we're, now we're talking Friends again. again. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, that's just horrible, let's yeah. just, just do that in the beginning. Yeah. It's uncomfortable, but just do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, a lot of people are always scared, right? Like, oh shit, do we do we really want to talk about this? Like, yeah. can we talk about this? Can we write it down? Yeah. Um, it's like everyone just always tries to push it to the back. Like, now nah, let's just get on. Let's let's start with this idea. Or let's do this now. Yeah. But in reality, if you don't if you don't prep long enough before, it's gonna hit you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unsustainable as mm -hmm. a as mm -hmm. a team. Yeah. How important was? Uh, focus for you and uh, in your whole yeah. in your whole experience focusing on specific things and not doing too much I mean you mentioned you know people telling you oh you need this and this and this feature yeah. um, I mean that can get quite confusing you don't know should I implement it should I not mm -hmm. um, focus I mean is a huge thing of course <laughs> um, that's also one of the things that broke us I would say um, because at the beginning as well of yellow uh, we we, we weren't really sure, are we B2C, are we B2B? Mm. Um, so we didn't know where we were spending our, our resources, our marketing efforts, so we were sort of advertising to, to, to the customer or B2C, but also directly to companies. And so, I mean, in the end, if you don't have a focus, you're gonna waste all your resources because you're not gonna do anything correctly 
because it's just sort of everywhere. And so that's why, I mean, I've, I've learned a few different techniques now on how you can align that and stuff um, using OKRs, so it's like objective um, sort of or, or goal setting ways, which we then also implemented further on in yellow, which helped mm -hmm. us towards the end, so the testing of the, of the different ideas. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning, we were very yeah, like freestyle and sort of everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, this is also something when you're first starting out, you're really focusing on or you really have to know who your customer is. So like to the detail. Do you, um, have, a, do you have an example? Because, you know, it could be, yeah, my customer is male over 50 mm -hmm. and lives in Zurich. Is that? That's horrible. That's horrible. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So uh, you have an example of what would be a good customer description, just as an example. Yeah. I mean, the best thing, of course, if you already have names of people. Names of people or names of companies. So let's say you're B2B and you say, okay, look, these are my top five companies that are targeting. Yeah. But within these companies, who I'm also targeting, of yeah. course. Yeah. So let's say for our product of Yellow now, it would have made sense to target the, the customer satisfaction team within, uh, within hotels or within yeah. uh, car companies, things like that. Yeah. So, and so having their exact names and then, of course, knowing who they report to, how much, okay. how much power they actually have to implement things like this. Yeah. Um, that's very B, that's very B two B sales yeah. now because you have to know uh, politics and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but it, let's say if you're if you're B two C that you know sort of okay. Let's say now if I'm starting a, a dog food company, let's say I'm only gonna focus on Vedensville, um, mm -hmm. on like a, a, like a region of Zurich. A region of Zurich. Yeah, so a region of Zurich. So I'm just gonna focus on the small region of Zurich that has what like five thousand people. Yeah. I'm only gonna focus on people there that have dogs that are um, zero to six months old um, and only this breed or a specific breed. How do you find out who has that, that dog? Well, that's, the, that's the role of marketing. Okay. <laughs> so you got to find that out somehow. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, no, but by knowing that that's my customer, I'm only going to spend my marketing efforts on finding those people. Yeah. So instead of communicating, hey, dog owners of whole of Switzerland who has um, the biggest and the smallest dogs of any breed possible, yeah. I'm going to say, hey, owner or dog owners of Vedensville who, uh, who have a dog younger than six months, yeah. um, this is for you. And just by focusing on that or by having that focus, I, I, can, I can benefit much more. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I, I'm a one-man show right now in that sense for that project. Yeah. So it's like, I don't have the possibility to look at the whole of Switzerland, yeah. but I do have the, the resources to look at just one specific area, just one dog size, yeah. like so, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And today, as a, I can tell you as a customer today, for example, I, I was looking for rain trousers for when I bike. Yeah. And I, had, I Googled rain trousers and yeah. I, I saw two options. I saw uh, plastic trousers, mm -hmm. uh, and I saw plastic trousers for biking, and they were, I mean, seriously, they're the same trousers, yeah. but I chose the trousers for biking, for biking. Yeah. even though they were five francs more expensive, yeah. because the messaging was so much, you know, I really felt, oh, that's, that's probably you really felt like for it was me. targeting you, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So it really works as a customer as well. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to share to, to new founders that are, that are listening? Yeah, I guess one thing, um, I mean, depending where you're coming from, how old you are, if you're just studying, if you have experience, but just get ready to fail. And there's sort of this glamour about startup, about being entrepreneur, being able to work on your own time, having coffee meetings, all this, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, it's business, it's gonna hurt, and you're most probably gonna fail, let's be honest. Nine out of 10 startups, they fail. And when you do, it will hurt, because you invested time, you invested money, you invested 
uh, your entire motivation, your entire life. Um, so it will fail. So have this always in the back of your head um, that this could happen. But of course, push, 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 push. Do what you really feel needs to happen uh, sort of in the world, your vision, bring your vision to life. But when you're, when you're starting out a project, think of it more as an investor. I mean, you're investing your time here, you're investing your money. So look at it for a five to six year run. Are you ready to do this? Does this idea even make sense to do it? Is the market big enough? Can you even, um, yeah, can you even extract benefits from this market or from the solution? Is it gonna help anybody or not? So yeah, I guess that's super important. You're gonna, high chances of failing, but look at it where you're investing your time because it's gonna take a long time. If you had to choose one challenge that you had, the biggest one, yeah. because I mean, we just heard the story. There were many, many <laughs> challenges. Um, what was your biggest challenge and your biggest learning from it? I think the founders or you, who you're working with, um, building up a team that's going to make something successful. And I mm. think I, I, I sort of failed there a few times um, with different projects, different ideas and stuff. But by having failed there, I learned what is necessary to find the right co-founders again. Um, and I think that's something that everybody has to go through. Be super aware of who they're starting to work with, skill sets, everything that they have, what they can benefit on each other on. And I think if if you can't get that right, you won't get, you can't really get anything right. No. Uh, not in the sense like you can't build a product or anything, but because if you're not a team, you won't be able to move to the place that you have to go to make a successful company. Yeah. You'll always be a one-man show and therefore you'll never really be able to, to make the big, bold idea. Because yeah. I mean, in the end, building, building a startup is like, uh, I learned this in Startup Sauna, it's like um, a metaphor of climbing a mountain, right? You need to get to the top, um, but to get there, you need to get all your different tools, you need to meet different people, because uh, you won't be able to do that alone so you need to convince the people that it makes sense or that they can see the mountain as well the tip of the mountain yeah. that it even exists um, and then you need to sort of gather everyone to get up there yeah. um, and so if you can't even get that team first of all to see the mountain if you can't even get them to climb the mountain with you and if you can't get the right people who can bring the right tools and, and mindset and and backgrounds to help you get up there then um, essentially you're not a good team and you won't be able to get to the top yeah and it's tough to find the right people it's yeah. really tough. I mean, you first go for, for different skill sets, I guess. Mm -hmm. or, I mean, you go to events, startup events. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I was super lucky. I mean, I just always went to events and stuff. Um, and my, uh, Felipe, so we had, we had to find a new CTO. And Felipe, we met at a startup weekend event where we just went for the apero at the very end. Yeah. And we were about to not go because we, were, we just played a bet like on the Chutli Kashli. Yeah. And uh, the bet was if we lost, we wouldn't go to the event and said we would go and chill at the Limat or something, yeah. uh, to the river. Um, and luckily we went because we, we met our co-founder there. Yeah. Always go to events. So always, you, always go to events and never make it. bets against it. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. And of course, you're gonna talk to thousands and thousands of people, but it's yeah. your job to filter it down to who's, who's gonna be the best yeah. and who's gonna get you to, to the top of the mountain. Top of the mountain, yeah. So you talked about this vision, the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. How do you, I mean, we have experienced it as well and others talked about it. It's somehow difficult to, to state a vision and like uh, to choose the level on, on mm -hmm. how you describe it. Because some say like you're, that's a dreamer, like it'll never happen or it's so yep. it's just futuristic scenario, whatever. And others say, well, that's boring. I don't want to run for that. Mm -hmm. How did you choose it for yourself? Where to set this limit of where you want to go? 
the top of the mountain. Yeah. Well, that can always change. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, imagine a whole, I don't know, imagine you're in Nepal. You know, once you've reached the top of one mountain, then you can go to the next mountain. Um, so I guess you, to, or to convince people, you need to be as visionary as possible to, and, but to make that real, seem realistic or achievable as well. Right, so yeah. um, if, it, if it's too far-fetched, so let's say if we're talking about a vision that's in 20, 30 years from now, then it's gonna be super hard to convince people. But if I can show them, look, this, this, is, this is my vision now of, of where we can, or what the problems in the world are, and this is how we can solve it, let's get to the top of this mountain, let's do this together, then, then they'll join me on that. And once we reach that peak, then we'll say, hey, shit, look, we learned all of this. Actually, there's another mountain that will get us even further. Yeah. I mean, every, every successful startup does this now. Right, Facebook yeah. star like this, and now they just kept climbing mountains. Yeah. Oh. All right. Do we have any any no, other questions? I think I'm good so far. Is there anything you you'd like to share uh, um, apart from that? Well, I mean, we've covered a lot of topics. Yeah. <laughs> it's super interesting. Yeah, I guess this is one thing that stuck with me as well, because obviously I came straight out of uni and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to become a founder. I saw all these successful stories from people in Silicon Valley. I was like, I can do this too. Um, and I, I guess one of the biggest things I learned here is there's two types of founders or two types of people that can actually uh, start a company. Either you have a very technical skill, so you're, you're able to code already, you're able to, uh, to make a product into reality. Um, and then of course you can do that and you can test things constantly, right? Mark Zuckerberg, he just tested things constantly. Mm. One thing exploded, Facebook was born. Yeah. And another type of founder is someone that has much more market experience or, or market knowledge. So this is someone that's worked in a market for five, six years or, or even just two, two, three years, but he's discovered the real problems that exist in that market or with people. Mm. Um, so really I think one of, if you're starting out, because I know a lot of viewers are just starting out, I think they're the biggest, most important thing at the very, very beginning is self-reflection. Uh, so looking, okay, who am I? What, what are my skill sets? Am I, am I technical? Have I, do I have a design background? Can I make something into reality? Or no, I don't. Okay, then let's be real. I need to go and work somewhere or I should, or I should discover problems at least uh, for at least two years and then make sure these problems are big enough that it makes sense to solve them. Um, so self-reflect before investing your own in time and really doing evaluation of what you're about to invest your time into because it's not a short it's not a short-term thing. So if you're just out of business school, you shouldn't found, you shouldn't start a startup. You're just out of business school, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm out of business school. Not just, I No, actually, you were, you I were. Actually, like, but I was yeah. when I started yeah, my first exactly. startup. And obviously I failed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as you said, I, I learned so much. I, would, I learned no. more than in a job. In, you know. That's true, that's true. So, I mean, I guess it also just depends. for the learning, right? Yeah. Yeah, you just know you'll learn. Yeah, exactly. But it's, you'll learn more than. <laughs> I mean, you job. will learn more, and it's probably cheaper than going to, to college in the U.S., for example. But uh, yeah, everything's <laughs> No, I mean, I guess I guess you could also just out of business school. I guess it depends if you're a type of person that can learn quick and try new things and execute. I mean, if you're just very theoretical, then then no, I would say probably not. Yeah. But if if you just come out of business school and you you can open up a computer and learn Photoshop in a day yeah. or learn to build a website and stuff, then yeah, sure, okay, try it out. But yeah. I just think you have a much more realistic chance if you are sort of one of those two people. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And especially, so yeah. I guess, the biggest thing is about being able to identify real problems and then evaluating how large that problem is. 
uh, and I guess just coming out of business school, I mean, I did the same thing, or I did design management, but also yeah. business school. And yeah. I think you don't really have a um, very holistic overview of what problems are, or how big problems really can be, especially when you're going into B2B kind of business. Yeah. Like there you, you have to understand business politics, who's reporting to who, um, who you need to sell to, how you need to sell to them, how that they budget their, their finances at the beginning of the years and all these different things and yeah. just coming out of business school and you don't really know that. I had no idea. Exactly. Really. Yeah. 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 So, listeners go work first <laughs> or, or learn how to code. Yeah. I didn't. Or fail. Or fail and learn. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what we did. Yeah. So, exactly. We're still here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for your time and, and sharing all that. Thank you, guys. Super. Hopefully, hopefully it was insightful. Like very, very interesting. It was like a bomb of insights. Yeah. 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 Really cool. nice. Really nice. Thanks for sharing and uh, good luck. Cool. Thank Thanks, Project. All the listeners, go and kill it. Go and kill it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nerd Entrepreneurs Podcast. Be sure to visit nerdentrepreneurs.com to access the show notes, read about our next episode, and join a community of like-minded entrepreneurs. If you like the Nerd Entrepreneurs Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time.